You all can be seated. Uh, you can open up your Bible if you have a copy of the scriptures to this letter that we started last week called 2 Corinthians. Uh, that's how we refer to it at least, 2 Corinthians. We're going to uh, start in verse 12 of chapter 1 uh, here in just a few minutes. But a couple of quick kind of housekeeping things, but more than housekeeping things. One is uh, we took a few week break from having coloring pages for kids, but we started that back up this Sunday, so they're on the back table, or if adults, if it's actually helpful to you to color, you can grab those as well. We'll try to have those week by week and try to have them correspond with what uh, we're speaking about from today's text. Uh, there's also, uh, continuing in the back of the room, if you're here in person, uh, the, we're doing a fundraiser for the trailhead that we're building over on the west side of the property that's going to connect with that greenway. Uh, if you have not yet donated to that and would like to consider uh, doing that, uh, there's details on that back table or even at our church website at christcovenant.org forward slash trailhead uh, where you can find out some of what we're hoping to do with that and how you could contribute and help bring that to fruition even in the next few weeks. And the last thing I want to say before uh, I enter into the sermon today is I just want to say thanks to Bethany uh, for sharing and being faithful to share uh, what the Lord had laid upon your heart. Uh, that was meaningful to me and I trust that it was to each of us as we try to walk with our brothers and sisters through affliction uh, from someone who has recently been walking through it well. And so I want to say thank you uh, for being faithful to share what the Lord laid on your heart. And I want to encourage all of us, especially as members of our church, if you're a member of our church, to be prayerful as you get ready to come on Sundays, to, to not just come passively to think, what can I receive? but even think what might the Lord use me to share with other people whether it's publicly privately uh, let's be prayerfully oriented that way uh, each time we gather together as well so thank you Bethany all right in a moment we'll get to the text but I was wondering if you uh, can remember something we used to do as human beings well it feels like long ago now something called concerts do you guys remember these things that we used to do uh, in, our, in our past as human beings? They were uh, places where we would gather together to listen to a musician or to uh, and maybe like an orchestra or to a, a band, different things. Uh, there's a concert that took place that at least locally in our little part of northern Indiana got some uh, airtime back in 2019, which feels like an eternity ago. Uh, in 2019 up in South Bend, and this guy is not like a favorite artist of mine, okay, but it made the news. Uh, there was a concert that a guy named Pitbull was supposed to have in South Bend uh, in June of 2019. And there's tons of concerts that happen that you never hear about, that I never hear about and don't care about, to be honest. But the reason this one made the news was because he actually did not show up for it. Uh, he, it had been scheduled and thousands of people had come together to mostly to hear him. There were some opening acts that happened that I think they probably enjoyed. Uh, but those ended and then there was this long delay where there was no Pitbull coming out on stage. He was not there and eventually as the night carried on, uh, the venue operator had to come out on stage and as you can imagine, that would not be a fun task to tell thousands of people, hey, the guy that you came to hear is actually not here and he's not going to be here tonight. You need to go home. I'm sorry. Uh, that, that is not a message that you like to deliver. And when people heard that, especially the people that were there, they were really upset. Uh, there was some, what they felt like was kind of a lame excuse. I don't know. But the excuse given was something to do with weather, even though he was, I think, coming from Miami where the weather was fine and it was the middle of summer in South Bend and the weather was fine and people were kind of just scratching their heads thinking something is not right here. And they got upset. And even people 
people who were his fans, if you looked on social media, started to get really frustrated with him and say, but I'm not, even if he comes again, I'm not going to go, and I don't want to even listen to his music anymore. And he issued an apology. Uh, it was several weeks later. Uh, issued an apology and said, hey, this is another date that I'm going to come. Uh, but the damage was done at that point, right? Uh, there, there was people who were really frustrated that this guy who had promised to be here, it was the tour date, people bought tickets for it, he had said he would be there, just did not show up. Uh, and the damage was done. People got really angry, disappointed, even abandoned. Some of them even wanted to listen to him or be a fan of his. What we're going to see, this is, we can't always draw straight lines from our world today uh, with the ancient world, but there's something, a situation quasi-similar to that, that was behind 2 Corinthians, where Paul, we're going to see as we go through today's text, had promised the Corinthians he would be there at a certain time, and that he would stay for a certain time, and it ended up not happening. It ended up, uh, for various reasons, which we'll see dissolving, um, but the effect still was had on the people who had heard that he was going to come, had heard that he was going to be there, and then it didn't happen, and there was this effect starting to happen in this church of frustration with Paul, of disappointment in him, even some people wanting to abandon him and say, we're not listening to you anymore, like you don't keep your word. And we started last Sunday, if you were able to be with us last Sunday, we started going through this letter, just read through the intro, like the first 11 verses of this letter, and we saw a couple basic things before we read today's text so we know where we are. Uh, we saw a few things about this letter and, and what it was, who wrote it, who it was going to. Uh, we saw that it was written by the Apostle Paul, uh, a man who wrote a lot of the New Testament, a lot of these letters. This is one of them. And it was written to a church, a group of people, of Christians that gathered together as a church in Corinth and then even to the region beyond. It was going to be read even beyond them in the whole region. And there's a long backstory we started to learn a little bit about between Paul and this church. And we're going to learn a lot more about it today. Uh, but those people really had, for several reasons, uh, those people, some of them at least, had started to doubt Paul's role as an apostle. Had started thinking, maybe we don't really need to listen to this guy, or maybe he needs to come down a notch or two on our, our uh, rankings of people we need to listen to. They had started to bump him down. We saw one of those reasons had been how hard his life was, just the fact that he suffered so much, and that'll come back around again. But he talked about that in what we read last Sunday, uh, just about how he is afflicted, but how God comforts him in his affliction and uses that to comfort others. But another elephant in the room was this thing I've already alluded to, this fact that Paul had changed his plans with them, uh, that he had promised them, had told them, I'll be with you, I'll stay with you, I'll be there a while, um, and then it did not happen. And so people were adding this to the list of frustrations with Paul and saying, maybe we don't need to listen to him anymore. So that's the basic background that will be helpful as I read this text. I'm going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 12 and then I'll go down actually through verse 4 of chapter 2 because uh, verse heading, verses and chapter markers came later. Paul wasn't writing like a big number 2 uh, for chapter 2. Like uh, he, he wasn't even writing the verse numbers. He was just writing a letter. So we're going to go from 1.12 to 2.12. Four. And so follow along with me in your copy of the scriptures, and then we'll walk back through this. And uh, I would appreciate your prayers even as I preach this. I was telling my fellow preachers this morning, this is a really difficult text uh, to preach. Some are like easy, and they just like ooze out of your heart just naturally. This one has been hard, so I'd appreciate your prayers even as we read this, that the Spirit would help us understand it and feel its significance, know its significance even in our life. So follow along with me, 2 Corinthians, starting in chapter 1, verse 12. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, 
not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no, at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you, that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. This is the word of God. I want to walk through this text under two basic headings. We'll go back through it. Um, but the two basic headings would be this. Uh, Paul's change of plans and God's unchanging promises. So Paul's uh, change of plans and then we'll see eventually in the heart of today's text, God's unchanging promises. And the, the main message that I think we can uh, receive from this letter, and I think that Paul was wanting to communicate even to this church, that I, I would summarize this way, that our plans change, but God's promises don't. Our plans change, but God's promises do not. And so I want to first kind of explain the situation to you that we can see even in this text of how Paul changed his plans, Paul's change of plans. If you look at the first little paragraph, verses 12 to 14, I'd say that section is Paul just giving a general defense of himself about this thing that happened, of, of why he had shifted plans. He, he appeals to his own conscience, that, that inner uh, conscience, and says uh, that I boast of my confidence. The, the testimony of my conscience, as best as I know it, and his brother's who were with him that, that we know it is clean. Uh, that we have, he says that we, as we engaged with you, as we spoke to you, as we made plans, even as we adjusted them, he uses the words in verse 12, he, he talks about simplicity 
and godly sincerity. Those are the things he says marks how they've been interacting with this church. That they were simple, like they're not mincing words trying to like confuse them. Uh, and that they're sincere, that they meant what they said. Like when they said it, they meant it. That was sincerely their plan. They weren't like saying one thing and then really actually holding back a plan B that they were going to implement uh, all along. He's saying we were simple, we meant what we said. Uh, we're simple and we're sincere. That they've been shooting straight with them all along. He says that, that they didn't do, they, their communication wasn't by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God. So that they're not trying these like clever communication tactics with these people and, and branding and messaging and we're going to say one thing but really kind of mean another. None of that. He's saying, in verse 13, he's saying, even what you're reading right now, this very letter, what we're writing to you, uh, you understand what we're saying. Like, our words are very simple. Like, we mean what we say. Like, it's not confusing. We're not trying to trick you. We're not trying to be mysterious, anything like that. We trust that when you read our words, when you hear our words, you understand what we're saying. Like, it's not complicated. And he, I love verse 14, as a side note. I love that Paul, and we'll see some of the division that was going on between him and this church, that Paul has confidence that someday their relationship will be fully restored. That there's this breach right now, there's this confusion right now, there's this suspicion right now. But he's saying, I trust that you understand and, and what I'm trying to say. And then verse 14 he says, And I believe that on the day of our Lord Jesus you will boast of us as we will boast of you. He's saying that ultimately at the end, no matter what happens between now and then, when Jesus comes back someday, that there's going to be this glorious day, and we should hang on to this as believers. There's going to be this glorious day where even if there's been division among us, even if there's been hurt between us, even if there's been misunderstanding or, or judgments between the, the different people or groups, that someday those things are going to be reconciled. That at the return of Jesus, we will boast of each other. There will be no brothers or sisters you're embarrassed of, uh, ashamed of, or frustrated with. That we will be at perfect peace at the return of Jesus. And Paul longs for that. And, but he wants a taste of it now. Like he, he doesn't just want to wait for it to come. He speaks and tries to reason with these folks in this church to try to see a glimpse of that even right now in the, in the present. So you see then as he gets into this next paragraph, verse 15 and beyond, uh, that we see a little bit of what this original plan even was. And then later in the text we're going to see what he changed it to. Like what the original plan was, uh, we can see starting in verse 15. He says, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. And then he, he gives some more detail. He says how he wanted to visit them on his way to Macedonia and come back from Macedonia and then have them send him on his way to Judea. And so what he's reminding them of is he's pointing them back to something that happened a, a couple years even beforehand where he had, made the, he had laid out this plan for them where he had said, and actually we have a map I believe uh, that I hope you can see. Uh, he had established this church at Corinth. Uh, this is where the recipients of this letter were. A lot of times as he was writing them, he was in the city of Ephesus uh, to the east. That's where he would be writing the letters from. And his plan originally had been, uh, there was this collection of an offering that was going on, which we'll learn more about later. He was going to go uh, over to the city of Corinth, which was kind of like a hub for trade and travel and whatnot. He was going to stop there first. Uh, spend a little bit of time with them. Then he was going to go up into that region called Macedonia where there were several other churches. And he was going to spend a little bit of time with them, gather their offerings.
offerings that they had collected. And then he was going to come back down to Corinth and spend some like extended time with them. And then he was going to leave by sea and go down to the southeast to Judea. It's like where Jerusalem was, the people they were gathering that offering for. That was the plan he had originally told them. And actually, if you have read 1 Corinthians before, you may have got a hint of some of this. I think we're going to have this text on the screen as well. This, there was a letter he had written, Paul had written to that uh, same church a while back. And he had, at the end of that letter, he had told them this. So this is what they had heard a while before before 2 Corinthians, they had heard from Paul's own pen, his own mouth, so to speak. He had said, I'll visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I'll stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. And he had said this. He said, I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. And so he had told this church, like, hey, I would love, I'm planning to spend some extended time with you. I'm even going to try to see you double, like, um, like uh, uh, make my itinerary so that I can spend extra time with you. That's what they had heard Paul say. Uh, that's what he had spoken to them as his word. And that is what he says, if you go back to today's text, that is what he intended to do. I, I, he's saying in verse 17, uh, when he told them that plan, when he had said, that's what I want to do. I want to come through once, collect that, come back through, spend some time with you. He's saying, was I vacillating when I said that? Uh, was I saying, yes, yes, like saying, yeah, this is what I'm going to do, but really I meant no, no. Like I'm actually just want you to think I'm going to come, but I'm really going to do something different. He's saying no. Like I, he even says that he wanted, that's the verb in verse 17, I wanted to do this. That's what I said to you. I, I meant what I said. That's what I had intended to do. He was intending fully to follow through with a yes on that promise, that plan that he had made. I'm going to pass over verses 18 to 22, and we'll come back to those in just a few minutes. But I want to jump down to verse 23 because we've seen what his plan was, like what those, that Corinthian church had heard. But as we've been saying, there was this big change of plans. There was something that happened or some things that happened that led him to change this plan. And we get a hint of these things in verse 23 and beyond. Okay, so we're going to see what, how the plans change and why the plans change. And then hopefully we can see how this is helpful and important even for us. So what actually happened between Paul and this Corinthian church, which this you don't necessarily see in a direct statement from this letter, but it's pieced together as we read through it, is he actually did come to them one time. Uh, in between when he wrote 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, he actually did come to them. And you get allusions of that in this text, right? Where he talks about this painful visit that he had with them. Uh, we don't know all the details about that visit. Uh, but if you look even at verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. So there had been a visit. Since he wrote 1 Corinthians, there was a time his feet were in Corinth. And the, the reason that he came was actually not a pleasant one. Uh, he had heard about some things that were happening in the church at Corinth, and he felt a need as, their, as the apostle who had started that church, as their pastor of pastors even in a sense, to need to come and say some very hard things to them. Uh, to, to painfully say some things, to call them on certain sins that were present in their life as a church. And he had had this painful visit where he had come and spent time with the Corinthians. And needless to say, and we'll see this in next week's text, that visit had not gone well from a human perspective. And we'll, we'll learn more details about what transpired when he was there next Sunday. But it had not gone very well. 
So he had been there for this short, painful visit, then he had gone back to Ephesus. And even in that window of time, he had written them another letter. He had written them, and you get allusions of that in this text. There was this painful letter that he wrote. You even see in verse 3, where he says, I wrote as I did. Uh, And there was things that even as he left to go back, that he was writing to them again, addressing about what happened while he was there. Uh, That painful uh, experience that they had together when he had come uh, to correct them in some of their practice as a church. And so he had visited them, okay? That's in the background of this text. But then when he went back to Ephesus, he changed his itinerary. He, he changed what he was going to do. He decided against what he had originally told the Corinthians. Like, hey, I'm going to come to your church, and then I'm going to go up into those churches in Macedonia, then I'll come back and spend some extended time with you. He changed that plan. He, he decided to do something different, to go a different path, to go with a different route. So he had changed his itinerary. He didn't come for that longer, pleasant visit. And he tells this church, and we get to read it, he tells them why he changed his plans, doesn't he? In verse 23, he says one of the reasons was that he changed his plan was it was to spare them. There was this harm that he thought would come, this damage that could potentially at least come if he stepped foot there in Corinth. In the midst of all this tension, he knew that there could be pain, additional pain that would come to them and even to him if he was to step foot in that town at that time. So he says it was to spare them. And I believe this, this is not explicit in this text, but I believe that part of why he waited was to give time for the Spirit of God to work amongst them. He had delivered some really heavy stuff, some really heavy correction to them. And he wasn't just in a hurry to get back there. He was wanting, I believe, to give some time for the Spirit to work in their hearts, for things to be mended, for reconciliation to happen amongst that church and even between him and them so that when he actually was there in person, that he says that there wouldn't be pain, but that there would be joy. That's his heart, is that he wants there to be joy when he visits again, both for this church, that they would experience his presence as joy, and he even says for himself that he longs for there to be joy. So it's for their benefit and for his that he says, I wanted to wait a bit. I I didn't want to come and and rush to come and spend time with you, but I waited to come and speak with you and be with you again. He notes that he's not trying to control them. In verse 24, he's saying, we're not trying to lord anything over your faith, but we work for your joy. There's that word, right? That that he wants to see joy. He wants these people to have an experience of joy and peace amongst each other and even with him. And he says to them, and I so appreciate this. This is instructive to me as a pastor, and I, I hope that it can be to you just as a Christian. He tells them even about what his heart had been like as he wrote that painful letter to them. As he had had after he left, after that hard visit and wrote them that hard letter, he tells them at the end of today's text, he says that I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. And I so appreciate that, that we don't have a copy of that letter. We don't know what 1.5 Corinthians said. Uh, We don't know what the words of it were, but it would not surprise me if that original document actually had tear stains on it. 
like as it was opened up by that church, that, that Paul had not been just delighting to be hard on these people and sting them and burn them and help them see how wrong that they were, but even as he had to say hard things, he did it with tears. He did it with, with anguish in his heart, and he did it because he wanted them to know his love for them, and he wanted them to have joy. He wasn't content to just see them keep walking down paths of sin, but he wanted to lovingly correct them. There's a few points of application from this section, then we'll come back to that middle section. A few points of application of this heading that we're calling Paul's change of plans that I think can be instructive to us. One would be this. I would say, as Christians, we need to be willing to change plans. That's probably a very simple, low-hanging uh, low fruit application, but I think it's true that we need to be willing to change our plans. As individuals, as churches, as leaders, we need to be willing to change our plans. We need, as human beings, to have the humility to acknowledge that we don't know everything, that we don't know what the future holds, much of it at least. There's some things God has told us we know, but a lot of the future is, is mysterious to us and unknown to us. We try to anticipate it, we try to make plans, but there's always things as human beings that we're going to be learning. New factors that come into play, new things that take place that we need to factor into decisions we made. And not just always stick with plans that were made sometimes weeks ago or months ago or years ago, but sometimes there's new things that happen, new things that we learn that should actually lead us to change our plans, right? And that text that had been on the screen, did you notice at the end of it, as Paul had written, even an apostle said, if the Lord permits like he knew as he made plans, he knew that sometimes those things change. Sometimes God orchestrates things in such a way where we actually need to change plans. Or we need to adjust the things that we have thought and anticipated that we would do. I think sometimes uh, we think it's honorable to have this just like slavish adherence to plans that we've made. To think, well, if we came up with that plan, we got to stick to it no matter what. We got to just keep going down this trail even when we know it's unhealthy at times and we think that it's noble and honorable just to always stick to a plan but I think what you see in Paul's experience with this church even though they might have perceived his change of plan as kind of waffling it was probably actually wise right uh, that that what some people perceive as waffling and you're wishy-washy is actually sometimes wisdom to say you know what there's new things I've learned there's new things that we've gathered uh, as a church or as as a group that we need to factor into our plans I wanted to say a thank you to you all as my church family on behalf of our pastors for the, the flexibility that you have shown even over this last year. Uh, our plans as we've tried to make them and sought input, uh, at best we have written them in sand that, that just sometimes gets washed away after the next day or week. And I have, I seriously from the bottom of my heart thank you as a church family that as by and large, almost without uh, exception. Your engagement with us as pastors has been to, to trust our judgment, to give input, but to, even when we disagree, to show deference and respect and to realize we're just doing our best with the data we have and the ways we can try to anticipate things. I appreciate that and would commend you to keep that attitude and for us to keep that attitude even as we step into 2021, because it's going to be an unusual <laughs> year as well, emerging hopefully from some of the things that we've had to do as well. So be willing to change plans. The second would be this to assume the best of fellow believers. Assume the best of them. It's not that fellow believers never sin or they never have bad motives. They do. Uh, and we don't need to be naive to that. But we should see, as, a, as a, an example from this text, 
that some in the Corinthian church were not doing that. They weren't assuming the best of Paul. They were actually assuming the worst of him. When, when they knew that he didn't come when he said he would, they filled in tons of gaps of knowledge, didn't they? They connected tons of dots of, oh, well, why he's not coming or why, why is he not here? They were connecting dots that they did not need to connect. And there, we need to acknowledge there are always, always, always things that we do not know about what's going on in the minds and hearts of other people. That there's things that they are considering, there's things that are on their mind and heart that are factoring into their decisions that are motivating them that we do not know. And we need to be charitable toward each other and not assume the worst of each other. Uh, they couldn't pick up a phone back in the ancient world and call the Apostle Paul and say, hey, when are you coming or why aren't you coming? There would have been tons of a lack of information and the human heart often fills that with negative assumptions. And we still do it today. Uh, when we don't hear from a person or they didn't show up to a thing or, or they said something a certain way that landed on us wrong, we assume a lot of really awful things about each other sometimes. And as Christians, we should do the opposite of that. We should assume that there is some good motive, uh, that we should assume that there is something that we do not know. Paul had written to this church earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He had said that love believes all things. We should believe the best of each other, not assume the worst of each other as Christians. And the other point of application from this, and then we'll see God's unchanging promises, is I would say this, if confrontation is necessary with fellow Christians, that you should undertake it with tears and with patience. That there is something just messed up in our human heart where we almost sometimes delight in confrontation. We delight sometimes in tearing people down, helping them see how they're wrong, helping them see the mistakes that they made or how foolish they are, how naive they are. Even as Christians, we struggle with this temptation sometimes. And we think, if I just put this person in their place, that somehow that's inherently noble. That's inherently virtuous and godly if I just speak the truth to this person. And even if I do it brashly, if I do it roughly, Paul did not operate that way. And if your heart is bent that way to be brash and to be aggressive towards people, do not point to the Apostle Paul to me and say, well, I'm following how he acted with people because of how he spoke to the Galatians or how he spoke to so-and-so. Paul wrote this letter to this church with tears in his eyes, with affliction of heart. He wasn't saying like, yeah, I'm going to stick it to these people. He was heartbroken about sin and about the ways that they were messed up in their thinking. And he's, he's addressing it with tears and with patience speaking the hard things, but doing it uh, from a way that was sensitive, that was heartfelt, that was compassionate towards these people, and then that was patient to see and to give time for God to work. And we need to be the same way. When those times come where we need to correct sin, where we need to create, correct bad doctrine, we do so clearly. We do it directly, but we do it with compassion. We do it with patience, trusting that God's going to work in my brother's sister's heart. So we see Paul's change of plans. The other thing we see in the heart of the text, and I want us to come back to the middle of this text, and this is way more important, is in this text we see God's unchanging promises. So there's Paul's change of plans, but we see what's nearer and dearer to Paul's hearts than just defending himself and his trustworthiness is that he wanted that church to know God is trustworthy. God never changes his plans. God doesn't uh, adjust things. He doesn't shift. He doesn't change. So no matter what you think about me, know this about him. That, that's what happens in the middle of this text. And you, you see uh, that these people had started to have a connection in their minds in Corinth between the trustworthiness of Paul and the trustworthiness of God. 
between the, the things that Paul said, his, his word about what he would do, about his plans, and then his word about Jesus. And they had started to subtly think, and some false teachers, it seems like, were capitalizing on this. They were starting to say, if he doesn't keep his word about this, like if he shifts his plans and adjusts this, is he going to shift his teaching about Jesus? Is he going to adjust that? Like, why should we listen to this guy? If he's just kind of changing plans all the time, why should we listen to his teachings either? And you see in verse 18 kind of this play on words about the word word. He says, as surely as God is faithful, that's most important for him, as surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. And so it's like this play on words where he's saying, my word to you, my word about my plans, I was sincere about, I meant what I said. And he's saying, our word to you about Christ is true. Like, it doesn't change either. And it's even more solid, even more secure, because my word about my plans did ultimately change. I meant what I said, but I changed it. And he's saying, my word to you about Jesus will never change. Because God's word to me about Jesus never changes. And so whether it was five years ago, whether it's today, whether it's five years from now, you will always hear, he's saying, you will always hear me saying yes about Christ. I will never change to you what I say about him because God never changes what he says about him. God's word does not change and my word to you about him does not change. It was always yes, never yes and no. And he wants them at the start of verse 18 to note that God is surely faithful. You may think what you want about me. You may think I'm wishy-washy. God is not. When God says something, God does it. When God promises something, God keeps it. When I say something, sometimes I need to change. Sometimes I need to adjust. When God says something, he does not ever change. He says that the promises of God... Uh, find their yes in him. That's verse 20. Find their yes in Christ. That is a beautiful phrase, and it's, it's important for us to just take a moment to sit on and think about. Because God made tons of huge promises throughout the history of humanity. You, re- you can read through them in the Old Testament, even into the New Testament. There's tons of promises that God had made that people didn't always know. How is that actually going to come to be? Like how, how, it doesn't seem like that's happening. I, I don't get how all these are going to happen, the things that God has said. But they all have come true in the person of Jesus, the, the sending of Jesus Christ into the world. So if you think about, for example, back in the Garden of Eden, God had promised, indirectly, but he had promised, Adam and Eve, our first parents as a human race, he had promised them that someday a human descendant would come and crush the head of the serpent, crush the head of Satan, right? And thousands of years later, Christ did. And as he was on the cross, he was smashing the head of Satan, even as Satan was biting at his heel. And someday when he returns, he will smash his head once and for all. That promise has come true in Christ. God had made a promise, a huge promise to a man named Abraham in the Old Testament, to this man who had no son, no descendant, no family, no nation. He said, someday, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And from that nation, there's going to be one that rises up through whom I will bless all the nations, all the peoples of the world of all time. I will bless them through him. And that descendant is Jesus who thousands of years later came and entered into our world as a descendant of Abraham. And when God punished him on the cross and then raised him up he said that people of all nations will be united now with Jesus and will receive my blessing 
God had promised this King David in the Old Testament, perhaps the greatest king in all of Old Testament Israel. He had promised David that someday one of David's descendants would become a king whose reign would last forever. Not for like forever, like for 50 years or something, but like literally forever. That there would be a king whose kingdom never ended. And when Jesus Christ, who was a descendant of David, was raised from the dead after suffering on the cross, God, he raised, God raised him up and then brought him back into heaven. He ascended to his throne in heaven and he reigns there right now and will reign for all eternity. There is a king just as God had promised who reigns forever. God had promised Isaiah. He had promised him a lot of things and given promises to him. He had promised him that someday a servant would come and suffer for the people of God, would die for the people of God, and then be raised from the dead. And when, when Christ came, that happened. God the Father, who had sent him into the world, he put him to death on our, in our place, and on our behalf, on the cross. And then just as promised, God raised him back up from the dead as a first, firstborn of a new human race, a new creation just like he had said, and that we can now be part of that new creation. We can be united with that one who has been raised. He promised Ezekiel that someday he would send his Holy Spirit and to come not just live in a building any longer, but to live in human beings, to come and live among his people, to indwell them uh, even in this fallen, broken earth, to live within them, and that has happened. As, as Christ ascended to heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit to live within us, to live within his people, God with us. And we see through all these things, these promises that God made, then God kept in the sending of Jesus, we see that God is fundamentally different than us and better than us. Like at best, we make plans as best as we can, don't we? But we're not just always spitballing and guessing. We make plans as best as we can as human beings, but then we need to learn and adapt and grow and change and modify, don't we? God does not. Like God never learns anything new, does he? There is never new factors that insert into the mind of God that, oh yeah, that is a, a factor now. I need to change what I'm doing. There's never changes of circumstances that, that take God by surprise where he needs to, to adjust his plans. God is never confused. God never makes mistakes. God never regrets the things that he does. God has known everything before it even happened. And God has made plans. And when he says he's going to do something, he does it. Our plans change. God's do not. There is no plan B ever for God. There's no like strategic planning meetings in heaven, right? Where they're like, oh man, like all this new stuff is happening. What are we going to do? There, that does not happen. Like God has made promises and he keeps them. When he says yes, he does it. If you are a leader in any capacity, and I try to remember this myself, if you are a leader in any capacity, you need to point the people, just like Paul was doing, you need to point the people you are leading to the one who is more reliable than you. To the one who will never change his mind. To the one who will never make mistakes. The one who will never modify his plans or, or change anything. You need to point people behind, uh, in front of you to the one behind you. The one who's over you. The one who controls all things. You don't want people's opinions of you and your trustworthiness to be all that matters. You want them to know the trustworthiness of God himself. And when we feel stressed, when we feel anxious, when we feel perplexed or confused about the things that are happening in our life, when plans have had to change, when people who are leading us have to change, or sometimes even when they let us down, when they hurt us, 
we need to take heart that God is not scrambling. God is not trying to figure things out. He's not trying to like panic and, and figure things out. God has set a plan in motion in time and eternity past. And he is slowly, patiently working it out, bending it all towards the glory of Jesus. And you are part of that. That you are, if you're united with Jesus, you are one that he loves. You are one who's sealed with the Holy Spirit. You have been given the presence of God in your very heart. He is with you. When we feel the insecurity of human plans crumbling and changing, we can know that God's never does. And that we have security and steadiness that we can cling to because he knows what he is doing. His promises do not change. I love, Paul does another plan of words. This is one of the last things I'll say. He does this other plan of words where he talks about, he's been using this language of yes and no and how we don't say yes and no. We always say yes in Jesus. And he even says that God says yes in Jesus, right? Like Jesus is God's yes, like his keeping of his promises. So God has spoken this yes to us. He does what he says. But then at the end of 20, he says that through Jesus, we utter something. We utter our amen to God for his glory. There's something we say back to God. And amen is really like a way of saying yes back to God. Amen just means like, let it be. Let it be so. Like, yes. That's, it's so God has said this yes to us in the sending of Jesus. And when we hear that good news, that, that Christ has come and suffered in our place, died for us, been raised for us, and that God offers us all these promises in the here and now of forgiveness, and in the future of eternal life, we can say back to God, yes, let it be. Like, I trust you. I believe you. Let it be. Like, I trust you through all my darkness, through all my pain. Amen. Let your plan be. Let it become real in my life. May I trust you. And we get to do that initially when we come to faith in Christ. If you do not know Christ, you don't need to say some fancy prayer with special words to him. You can just say a simple amen to him because he promises you if you come to him in faith and repentance trusting in his son who died for you and was raised for you if you and he offers forgiveness to you eternal life to you just say amen like let that be like i want that i believe that amen please let it be you can be saved you can be forgiven by god just by saying one word saying amen let that be amen but we, we persevere then in saying amen over and over to God. We say, let your plan become real in my life. May I trust you with what you're doing in my life and in our world. Because there's promises yet to be fulfilled, isn't there? God has kept all his promises he's made thus far, and there's promises yet to be fulfilled. Promises about the return of Jesus. Promises about the final judgment of the human race, including us. Promises of the establishing of a new earth and a new heavens. And we can still trust God even for the promises that are yet future from us today because of how he has shown them to be true in the past. Our plans change, but God's promises do not. Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to sing one more song uh, together as God's people assembled. Uh, we're going to sing here in a moment, but I want to pray for us that the Lord uh, would teach us to trust him amidst changing plans, shifting terrain that we've felt more in the last year than we probably have ever in our life. May we know the security and steadiness of his plans and have our hearts be at rest and be at peace. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are such limited creatures. Uh, we are thankful that you give us ability to anticipate, to evaluate things, to make plans, to 
have itineraries and have uh, planning meetings, uh, having uh, dreams and visions of what can become uh, for our lives as individuals and as your people. Uh, but we pray, God, that you would uh, forgive us for any sense of, of self-reliance, of overestimating our wisdom and insight. And may we have a humility about us to know that sometimes our plans need to change. Sometimes we need to modify what we're doing. Sometimes we need to, to grow and adapt. But may you rest our hearts in the fact that you do not, that there is nothing that surprises you, no new information, no factors that you have to start considering, but that you have set such, set such tremendous promises from the very beginning and you have meticulously brought them to be in, the son, in your son Jesus. May we be restful as your people, trusting your promises and your faithfulness. We pray this in the name of Christ.